What up, Bruce? What up, Bruce? And we're gonna brown meat well. What is brown meat I'm tired. Ooh, <laughs> and I'm exhausted. <laughs> and welcome back. True <laughs> uh, words have never been spoken. Honestly, uh, yeah, that's where I'm at. Except you're actually siege. Oh yeah, I'm siege. If you need to know. <laughs> and I'm actually Tony Curtis, if you were curious at all. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, we are your boy, Miss Fancast. Welcome back. Glad to have you here for another episode, another season seven episode. Another season seven. Right off the heels of our conversation with Erica Montolfo Burra, who wrote this episode. So interesting that we got to talk to her, like, right before we got to this episode. Um... <laughs> Such a great conversation. Loved having her on. You know, she's done incredible work. Um, I didn't love this episode, if I'm being real. No, there are lots of stuff, Erica. There are lots of stuff that I want to talk about. There are things that I, I really do like about this episode. And then there are things where I'm like, again, I am I'm curious, like how much was like put in and how much was like Nope, this was my idea from beginning to end. Because some things are like, yes, this is good. And then some things are like, this was thrown in there. I don't know. We'll get to the conversation. But um, speaking of conversation, if you guys would like to have a conversation with us, you can reach out to us at brownmeetsworld um, at gmail.com or on at brownmeetsworld on all the places. You can join our Patreon where we have all of these conversations, merch, polls, all the things that you guys enjoy. Um, all also, that shit. We all that not- jazz all that jazz and um also um thank you guys for subscribing to our youtube you guys have really pushed those numbers up you've been really great at it all in all we did the housekeeping stuff and just wanted to get that out of the way before we get into this episode let's get into this episode because i actually am really excited to talk about this episode okay uh but in order to do that that means you would have to do the tell me about it <laughs> Tell us about it. Coin to Ping, I hate the place. Guilt trip their parents to buy them a new house, only to learn what life as a husband and wife is all about. A little clunky, a little clunky, but you got the synopsis in there. And also the other day, uh, I posted one of our Tell Me About It on our social, and someone was like, I read this in TC's voice. So I thought that was. Love it. (laughs) <laughs> uh okay so you guys this is season seven episode 10 picket fences Corey and Tamea continue to look for a place to live coming across a house with a nook that they want amy and alan to co-sign on in a b storyline eric and jack get a new boss at the student union in a c storyline rachel angela and sean all consider their own living arrangements lots going on in this episode a lot is going on what's interesting is i think with the exception of jack and eric I think everything kind of makes sense. And Jack and Eric even makes sense if we were to do it in a different time. Like, remember how we were talking about the honeymoon is over and how Eric was there for comic relief and yeah. we didn't really make... take this storyline and put it in last week's episode with Fair. Eric and Jack? It, like, does it like divert from the story? Is it? No, it, it isn't. But at least it makes sense to give Eric and then we can spend a little bit more time on Rachel, Sean, and Angela. Like, that's my thing. Yeah, I, the Jack and Eric (laughs) storyline is fine. Like, uh, we can get there. I don't want to spend too much time on that. But it's it's just 
fine. It doesn't do anything to help the episode, but you know, Eric has a lot of funny moments in this episode. Yes. I think more funny moments than he did last episode. Um, there are some great, wonderful moments with this episode. Overall, the story that Alan, the the lesson that Alan tries to teach Corey, I think is such a classic TGIF episode. This is the kind of story I would want for a season seven of Boy Meets World of like, hey, you are leaving the nest and now there are all new challenges for yeah. you to face and new lessons for you to learn. You thought you learned it all in school, but now that you're in the real world, you have to learn the real shit. I would love it if that's like, the primary focus it, and but there are some things in this episode and we're going to get to it about the way they treat living together the way they treat uh sean and angela's character particularly that just kind of rubbed me the wrong way a little bit so we can get into all of it but that's my i completely agree so it's so funny all right so to your point uh my first reactions were i kind of i liked the a storyline a lot the b storyline i was like most of my bra moments will come from this b storyline yeah. uh but the c storyline even had like there were weird things where it's like again we are acknowledging that uh everyone is moving in together and that angela and sean get to have a moment of being like hey we're living together and we get to do that and mm -hmm. that's uh new for us and that's fun for us and rachel's not really as much of a factor as it needs to be yeah uh, and we even address that so i'm like oh we're we're actually addressing a lot of things that i feel need to be addressed and it was written in my mind as someone who paid attention to the last few episodes definitely i like that however to your point i feel like some things were mixed messaging at best if not just downright bad lessons yeah. as, as Sean and Angela are concerned and then as far as Corey and Topang are concerned I do like the lessons that we're learning and I like that we get to see them more as a couple like it's so funny after they got married they are kind of writing them as a duo yeah and it's fun to see Danielle get to act Absolutely, and, and actually participate because so for so long she was just a sideline character and now she gets to actively be involved with Corey's hijinks yeah we're seeing more Topanga than I feel like we have in a while in terms of just like her perspective her voice her ideas getting thrown out there um like you said her partnership with Corey is becoming more of a tag team duo in a way that I think really works both comedically and dramatically um the can we just talk about this opening scene yeah um, absolutely let's okay. go straight to it yeah yeah so uh we we cut to the apartment and we see sean and angela there and they're basically talking about like the playing house. house they're playing yeah. house they're having a great time and clearly they're fucking yes yeah oh absolutely like that's kind of one of the things that is implied by Corey is that they're sluts and they're they're, they're living in sin and they're, they're sluts. living in sin and they're doing the deed um and i thought it was really funny the idea of them getting to play house getting to be like hey we have our time we are with each other uh life was so good before the kids came mm -hmm. and the kids are Corey and topanga because they are still avoiding being in their own house um but what and, we're seeing is that angela and sean were like well i guess you could spend a few nights at our place uh we don't know how long this has been going on though we don't but also it's interesting because this episode allows angela and sean to be kind of the secure couple 
yeah. at least for the first half of it. And I think that's really great to see. Before they're shamed out of it? We're, again, we're going to get there. Because mm-hmm. I don't understand why they are. Like, it it did feel... That was the one part out of everything that felt forced. Like, I could allow so much, but, like, Angela and Sean are doing well. They are living together. And the idea of them living together is good. And the idea of them having to figure out how to balance, hey, we've we both haven't had stability. We both haven't had a family. We both are constantly moving around and switching places. So now we're in one place at one time. We are saying that we're committed with each other. Let's talk and see how that goes. And it just kind of, the show makes up a reason for them not to do that. Not to do that. And I would just say it would have been so interesting to see two couples where it's like, okay, the only difference between this is that you're married and we're not. Yes. Like, okay, so are there other differences that come into play? Are there other things to go into that? Or is it a thing of where Corey's complaining and Sean's looking at him and saying, hey, you could have done this. You could have just dated. Like, you guys decided to get married. So, like, I just, I mean, uh, yeah, I just, I I, I could have done without the shame aspect. But like I said, there's other things we can focus on. I just, I really think that the story of Corey and Topanga was strong enough on its own of them wanting to go get a house, getting excited about a starter home, asking for a loan. Like, oh, there's tons to do there. We don't need to muddy up the story with Sean and Angela. No, let's continue with Corey and Topanga, which is to say that. Uh, as you pointed out, they are staying with um, they're staying with Sean and Angela mm-hmm. and Rachel at this point in time, and they're like, "You gotta go." We're yeah, like, they're you're, done. you're cramping our style. Go, and they go. You don't think we have other friends? And I like the idea that they're acknowledging they don't have any other friends. No. Why would anyone be friends with them outside of these <laughs> three that are like <laughs> almost required to be friends with them uh, for various reasons? And then. Um, we see them move out and Corey brings Topanga to this house. And I'm already like, no, whatever it is, no. And I also like this idea of like, we get a little bit of Topanga being kind of self-aware of like, hey, we can't afford this. We can't, um, like who, like the real estate agent is being sneaky and she's like, you're lying to him and you're letting him uh, believe that you can afford this when we know you can't. We can barely afford a sandwich. You know what I'm saying? Like I, I like can this really, a little bit. Go ahead. I can really understand Topanga's frustration here. In fact, I think it should have been a little bit more because I think that really Corey did something that was really messed up, which is to say like, hey, we've been living in like a roach motel essentially, and it's been like the biggest struggle of our middle class lives essentially. So <laughs> no matter how like it may look from the outset, for us, this is trauma. And so the way I'm going to do that is to promise you things that I can't follow through with or I haven't thought through. And like Topanga comes out really hard at first at being like, you know what, Corey, this is cruel. She said, it's so cruel for you to bring yeah. me here. And the thing is, is that like, and I, I want to spend more time on the scene, but eventually Topanga kind of comes on board in yes. a way where I'm just like, 
you gotta use your head too to pick like where are you valedictorian like i really need you to use your brain smarts to kind of help Corey. like if Corey's the idea man you need to be the person who's like wait wait wait. logically that's not going to work because of a b and c or something like i need her to use her intellect in this relationship because it seems like Corey just keeps coming up with schemes and convincing her to go along with it based off of the honeymoon episode in this and so I just, I want her to be a little bit more combative and like to challenge See, him more. I'm going to say something a little risky, but I think what you're dealing with right now is white feminism. Like they said, it was a lot easy for Topanga when everything was good, when she had a bed to sleep in, when she could put her hair down, when she could wash in a shower with water that she felt comfortable in. It was easy to be like all for it, but, <laughs> you know, for rights and speaking up. But right now she does kind of, she wants a, a comfort, comfortable living space. Yeah. And that I understand. I do understand it is like, there is something real about the fact that she would be like, hey, we can't do this. And in the moment they kind of make it feasible and they're like, all you have to do is get someone to sign. I mean, we saw her get a loan in not Hawaii. <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> where she's like, all right, I'll just take out another loan. How bad could that be? Co-sign. I do think it's, again, what bothers me is that we don't even acknowledge Topanga's parents. And that's one of the things I meant to ask Erica about. I was like, did you guys ever once think, why don't we even have like a line that says, because they said we just need two adults to go sign, two parents. And they go directly to Alan and Amy. And I'm like, yeah. y'all didn't even try to pay his parents. It's crazy. Especially because to pay up for has yeah. so much to make up for. Like, yeah, that's the person you go to. Exactly. You go to the one who you need to guilt trip. <laughs> <laughs> not the one who told you last week he wasn't helping you. That's not going to do you any favors. Um, but really quickly, before we move on, I want to hit our roll call because we have, um, this is where we meet. Um, the real estate agent. Orly, who plays Mrs. Stevens. She was a kid. Edith, yeah. Yeah, she was character actress from the 60s and 70s, most notably Laugh-In. Uh, she was also the voice of the wardrobe in Beauty and the Beast and Miss Maple in a Goofy movie. And I included that one specifically for you. And you know me, I'm a diehard Goofy movie fan. I have no idea who Miss Maples is in that movie. Um, uh, she's the secretary. Oh, for Principal Mazer. Got exactly. It. <laughs> <laughs> uh, also, I will say that... Um, she was too big for me. Like when I found out that she was best known for laughing, I was like, that makes sense because this is a laugh-in performance. This is a like over the top 60s comedic performance. Yeah. I mean, like I don't understand why we're doing this. It's, like, it's giving Julie Happerfield from the, uh, yes. the, who was the wedding planner when yes. they were playing their wedding, like just really big guest spotty like very yes. sitcom guest spotty like yes. i don't really know this but i know television enough that i'm gonna do this a certain way and you know i i it doesn't work for me she doesn't work mm -hmm. for me um what is probably the most interesting part about this whole thing two bed two bath philadelphia eighty eighty thousand dollars what what i i immediately got eighty angry $80,000 for a house. For a house. And they were struggling. And I was like, D every millennial is dying right now. No. <laughs> I'm sorry. You, you don't mean 800,000? No, just 80,000? Just 80. 80. 80. 
This is chump change. This is embarrassing at this point. Which, I mean, <laughs> also, it does make sense why they would be like, oh, in college, maybe we can afford this. Yeah. <laughs> maybe you can. Maybe you could. <laughs> well, it's so funny because they're like, do you know how long it's going to take us to save $80,000? And I was like, I don't know. How long is it going to take for you? Because well, here's again, you just need to save to put down the deposit. That's what's crazy. And There's then, so much logistics about that whole thing that needs to be talked through. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, well, because what they do is, again, she tells them that they could have this house. All they need are co-signers, essentially. Mm-hmm. They go to Alan and Amy, and they're like, hey, we found a place. It's great. All we need is for you to sign this. I was like, it, it felt, I think, intentionally. It felt very much like, we just need you to sign this permission slip. Don't look at it. Don't look <laughs> at it. Yeah. <laughs> Don't think too much about it. We've already thought this through. And exactly. I love that Alan sees right through it. And he's just like, uh, well, Amy said, I don't call them stupid out loud. And Alan's like, I didn't say that. She's like, well, I was thinking it then. Love that. <laughs> yeah, that was a really fun joke. And then, oh, okay. I know what I was going to say. Alan and Amy being brought back in was something that Erica said last week, which I thought was really important. She said that they've kind of removed Feeney and they are now relying on the parents again. And I was like, mm-hmm. yes, we are using Allie and Amy again to tell stories, to teach their children for Corey to learn from. And I do yeah. like this. I like this use of Alan and Amy. I feel they work as a, a couple in this episode. Yeah. But then also the idea of them saying, you can't buy a house before you have a job is like it seems so simple and yet i feel like a lot of people don't understand that you can't put the cart before the horse well again this is where i'm like topanga you're so smart like why does that simple math need to be explained to you that you need a job for you to buy a house like why is that something you can't figure out on your own and again at no point is Corey looking at Topanga or Topanga looking at Corey being like, maybe we should get jobs. Like it's yeah. not happening. So what are they expecting? Especially when you consider the fact that they're like, hey, we're going to, Corey's like, we're not going to miss a payment. It's like, but you don't have a job. <laughs> How are you not? Why are you mad that I'm literally just asking you, mm-hmm. where's your money coming from? <laughs> it's it's giving uh martin it's giving you don't got no damn job (laughs) you ain't got no job Corey. (laughs) (laughs) exactly um i I think it's interesting because they don't even go into this but like alan being like hey you need a job figure it out of course this place is tough of course you don't like where you live um because one of the things they don't make an argument for is buying a house doesn't stop the expenses like it's not just buying the house it's the utilities it's the upkeep it's all of the furniture there's so much more that goes into it that you can't just add on to your loan even if we were to co-sign for this so you have to learn to take care of the things that you have before you can get something bigger can i also just say something that i found annoying both during the original viewing of this and when we rewatched it which is the thing that gets them so fucking excited for this house is a nook. Now, let me explain. This the nook that's featured in this home is not like a like a sit-in nook that you could like read a book in. It's literally just like an awkward little concave in the, the living room. And let me just tell you, fuck those. They're not <laughs> fun. You have to look for very specific furniture to fit it, and it's like, it's a pain in the ass. Like, there's no benefits to having a nook. Like, just 
get like a, a a couch in our chair or something like i don't know the fact that that was the selling point that they were just like well we'll have a nook i just couldn't get on board with it i'm not gonna lie i think this is a michael jacobs thing because <laughs> the torkelsons one of his early things has a nook like she always like sat out in the window and she did that and then in girl meets world her bedroom <sighs> has a nook that she they chose it for the nook they chose it for the nook. The nook is important wow. to a Michael Jacobs story. Um, so I just, I, I wanted to make that connection. Okay. But what is even funnier is in the next scene, we have Sean, Angela, Topanga, and Corey at the current apartment. Yeah, the and, married dorms. Yeah. Yeah. And A, I love Topanga here being like, yeah. Like it was a yeah. comedic performance from Danielle. It's really funny. But Sean goes to them. Hey, you could put a small bookshelf right here. There are built-ins. There's a built-in bookshelf <laughs> right on the other side of the wall. And they, they spend the whole episode looking at the other side being like, a bookshelf would look good there. I look behind you. <laughs> that was my one thing. The one thing, they kept talking about these bookshelves and you know what, we'll get a bookshelf here. You can put a bookshelf and I was like, you have built-ins right over there and you want a nook and you can't take care of. <laughs> also, I've literally never seen y'all read. <laughs> Yeah, like because remember, like again, she said Angela and Sean are reading. Corey and Topanga do not read anymore. Do not read. So what They're are you putting read. on those bookshelves? Let's be real. Uh anyway, I thought this was really funny because this I thought we would bring it up. But like Sean is walking around and he's like, You have a good space. This I love is that. Yeah. Type of space that you and I talked about having. And I liked that Sean was like looking around and being like, this isn't bad, you guys. Yes, I, it's a fixer-upper, but you have to fix it up. Yeah. And can I just tell you that, and I don't know if this is true across the board, but in my personal experience, it feels like people who grew up low income or who like had to live in a bunch of different apartments or things like that have a little bit more imagination as to how to fix something up because they've been forced to live in places where it's like, we have to. The, the Corey and Topanga of it all, where it's like, well, we can't find anywhere else to live, so we might as well make this work. Whereas when I talk to people who are like, oh, I lived in my parents' house my whole life, like they sometimes struggle to have the same imagination when looking at like interior design shit or just kind of like that, that whole organization or functionality or fixer up or stuff. It just feels like something they struggle with. And that's just been my experience. I'm not trying to like, speak for everyone but i get what you're saying i'm gonna say so i i think it may not be necessarily a class thing although class is important but i do think that it has something to do with like whether or not your parents and sometimes their parents did this because they didn't have the finances your parents instilled in you the importance of taking care of your own things mm. and being resourceful and um clean up after yourself like like we kind of know that eric and Corey and all of these boys have always had amy like we don't yeah. see them cleaning up on a regular basis we don't see them going out and buying the groceries and all this other stuff they come from a working class family like a middle class family mm -hmm. but we don't see them actually doing the work and i think that is important because as you said i look at their entire apartment i'm like oh you go get a wet back you clean that rug. You like, uh, like y'all are sitting on that couch, and and that is a bold choice for me. Yeah, you get rid of that couch. You know, like, you buy yourself a blow up mattress. You start washing the walls. There, like, I look at that place, and all I see is potential. Because, yeah. as you said, I grew up in a space where we're going to make the most of what we currently have. What do we 
currently have? How can we make that better? What is functional? Like Sean says, Corey, fix the pipes. Yeah. Like that's your job. That's what you do. Take some pride in your place and learn to fix your pipes is what he says to him, which is so interesting that Sean has that outlook that Alan is trying desperately to teach Corey. Like for whatever reason, Sean gets it when Corey does it. And I think that's really interesting. Well, you say for whatever reason, and I think we've talked about it. They don't say it. And I kind of wish they had. I, I do wish that they had said, or they had allowed a line of Sean just being like, dude think of where i came from <laughs> yeah and honestly wish, yeah. tell me tell me that this isn't doable are you saying that i wasn't doable like i didn't make it work like my parents didn't make it work we were able to operate with less you have so much going for you and you know that i come from a family that doesn't Sure. Or or just the idea of like, bro, you've been over to my trailer multiple times and now you're acting like you're too good for this. Or were you too good for it then? Like, like really kind of ask him about it. Um, which really interesting. Oh, go ahead. I, I was just gonna say <laughs> the thing that I uh really like is you know, Sean's telling him, Hey, you have to earn it. Like you, you know, you're just this is your place, you have to fix it up. You ha- if you want nice things, you have to earn it. And then Corey rebuttals with, Well, you guys have a good deal and you're not even married, and that's not fair. So maybe you need to rethink your ship because yeah, we're struggling, but you guys aren't married. So boom, sinners. And I'm like, what is happening? It made like again, it was weird because this idea of Corey, like, I, I, first of all, think that Corey was just kind of speaking out of turn and, of course, saying things. And Corey is being entitled and privileged to be like, oh, you guys have it so easy and you're not even, like, like it's easy to say that when you have a, a nice place to live, which goes back to what I was saying. However, for him to say that because Sean and Angela aren't married, therefore, they don't really understand the struggle and they don't deserve to have a nice place to sleep. As you said, no one required you to get married. You getting married isn't even the norm for the white middle class um, storyline that everyone adheres to. Like you go to school, you go to college, then you get married. You moved it ahead. Yeah. You moved it out of order. You did what you wanted to do. And all of a sudden you're mad at Sean for not following you along in your choices. That's and stupid. also, are they so conservative to not think that a couple in college would live together and not be married? Like, are we really doing this? I feel like, okay, so like in universe, I would say that in universe, it makes sense that Corey would be a little jealous of Sean. Because again, Corey's whole idea is I should be doing better than Sean. And if I'm not doing better than Sean, then the universe isn't right. That's how he, we've seen this happen several times. Remember the episode where Sean got the job or the internship and Corey didn't? Yeah. It's like that competing thing where Corey is like, no, in our lives, I should be doing better than Sean. And the fact that I'm not means that I have to tear Sean down a little bit. Terrible friend. Honestly, However, <laughs> I, I get Corey being jealous. I get Corey projecting. He's kind of doing that to everyone throughout the episode. So I don't really think of it as a personal thing he's doing to Sean. My problem is Sean validating what Corey says? I was going to say that the problem that follows this is that the show itself is taking a conservative lens. The show itself later has us re-examine Angela and Sean's and be like, hey, we didn't earn this. We have it too good. 
we need to suffer. And I was like, no, you don't. No. You've <laughs> suffered. Like this idea of I need to suffer in order to enjoy life, it's, it's, it's wrong. Also, like, that doesn't work with a character who's been suffering for six years. Thank whereas you. Sean and whereas Corey and Topanga are like, this is the worst thing that's ever happened to us. Sean has gone through nine of those in the last three years. So, like, does he not just get to enjoy the fucking paper and drink his coffee without feeling like the devil is gonna judge him for it? Like, what is what are we doing? Yeah, that's my exact point. The idea that like Sean and Angela, like we know that they have a rougher situation going on and we know that it's been a journey for them and they are in a good place and they've made the right decision. They didn't get married young. They didn't force all their friends to attend their wedding and then try to bail them out. Like they are standing on their own two feet as much as they possibly can, even though we do get acknowledgement that Thank they you. Say that someone else is paying for our apartments, which I assume for Angela is her father and for Sean, it has to be Jack? Like, I truly don't, like, it's, it brings up more questions than answers when you're, they're like, because the entire time I'm like, well, why is this so much harder for Sean and Angela than it is for Corey and Topanga? Okay, well, Sean and Angela have help. Well, yes, it's been implied that Alan isn't helping Corey, but he's never outright said, hey, I'm cutting you off. That would make us, the audience, think, wow, their lifestyle changed is so drastic now. Um, exactly. <laughs> it happens. Um, their lifestyle changes so drastic now because uh, they got cut off. Like, there was nothing to insinuate that that was the issue. So, again, who's paying for Sean's apartment? Who is giving Sean living expenses? Why is it that Sean, whoever is helping him, is able to give him more than Corey is able to provide for himself? Like, there's so many questions that I kind of want to get into and we kind of skip over it and it's fine, but who is paying for Sean? That's, that's a, a, a very good question. Before we get too much, because I do want to come back to the Sean mm -hmm. and Angela of it all, I want to say that Corey, again, is challenged to fix this thing. We get a yep. cute scene of them, Corey saying, hey, I'm gonna fix the sink. Angela, not Angela, Topanga uh, and him playing swap monster. It's a really- So cute. Yeah. And it's cute. It's them as a married couple. It's newlyweds. I get it. Then we get the return of- Can uh, I just say that like this scene of them playing swamp when they're just kind of chasing each other, I was like, oh, you know, there's been a few times where people have mentioned that there could have been a spinoff, there could have been a season eight in New York. And if it had been more stuff like this, of them just like being an early married couple and learning what it's like to be on their own, like I kind of would have been super into it. I, I feel like this, these storylines of them being like on their own for the first time is really where the show should have gone and continue to go if there were to be a season eight. It's a little... um it reminds me a little bit of How I Met Your Mother. Yes. You know how I Met Your Mother, about? the early years of How I Met With Your Mother. Marshall and Lily. Yes. Like, that's what I'm getting from this. And, and again, like this, this idea of like Corey going around and like they're chasing. He's like, oh, whatever you do, don't turn on the water. And oh no, I accidentally. And they're like having this fun flirtation, but they're also newlyweds. But then also the neighbor comes. And I was going to say Marisol Nickel comes back as Kelly and the yeah. baby. And then now you have a baby and all this other stuff. Like I found that to be fun. And it reminded me of Marshall and Lily when they get their place and like having to build and figure it out as a couple. I liked it that scene. 
it, the it gave me mad about you vibes and i was just like these this is the dynamic the like early 20s kind of adult dynamic that i think could have made the show live on is embracing that aspect of it it's so funny that you say that because the other day someone sent me a link to interviews that the cast did at the time of um, the wedding episode. And in that interview, Danielle says, we are changing the show a little bit. It's going to be a little less school, a little more mad about you. Wow. So I thought that that was funny that you said wow. exactly that, because that's okay. what they were going for. Wow. Exactly. And succeeded. Okay. Um, okay. So let's wrap this up. So we have, uh, Topinga said something which I thought was important. She goes, I'm a good babysitter. And I was like, oh, yes, again. Danielle used to babysit. By the way, why aren't you babysitting now for money? Open yeah. up a, a babysitter. Like, again, if you guys need finances, if you need things to do, use your resources, use your talents. Like, Danielle should be tutoring um, and babysitting. Corey can get a job. Like, these are all things that are possible, and yet they don't want to quite force them to do that. They just want to show them complaining, which yeah. is important, but also I needed someone to be like, job postings are over there yeah exactly <laughs> mentioned employment at some point um the one thing i want to say is that i really like like at first i kind of dismissed the character of kelly but in this episode specifically when she comes over i'm like she plays a really important part and making Topanga feel like this place is more like home by introducing the aspect of community, by saying, yes. wow, you're a good neighbor. And what that means to Topanga to hear, like, wow, we we are neighbors. I guess, yeah, you live next door and we're helping each other out. I guess we are in this. Like, it just makes her feel more comfortable in that place simply by having Kelly just acknowledge that she's like, enjoys them living there. I also love the idea of her, them being like, hey, go see a movie. And she's like, can I go back and sleep? Yeah, <laughs> can I just go sleep? That's yeah. all I want to do as a new mom. So I thought that was really great, and also like I, the idea that the baby slept for them. The baby slept for them, and then Corey fixes it, and the water's clear. And well, very I, proud. the thing I loved, which I thought was a very good Michael Jacobs moment too, was that Kelly's like, "The baby loved itsy bitsy spider," and then Topanga's like, "Hey, how's the doing with the water spout over there, Corey?" And he was able; they were able to connect it and make it work. Come for on, yeah. yeah. I love that. I didn't think about that, but you're right. That's that's good. Uh, and then we go. I kind of. I think it's funny, if not very disgusting, if you think too closely about it, that Corey continues to just walk around with the sledge on him. But when yes. he goes back to Allie and Amy's, and they're like, "Look, drink it." And I was like, "Is it poisoned?" Um, yeah. <laughs> they're like, "No, we fixed our water pipes." And they're like, "This is what we were trying to tell you." And I was like, "Well, I like this." A few things. One, Corey needs to apologize to Sean. Sure. Uh, doesn't do that, and I don't think we'll ever see that happen. Um, and then this idea that they were like, we we fixed it, and we took care of the baby. Mm -hmm. And they're like, they took care of the baby. And I was like, no, no, y'all didn't, like, they just said the baby. You have no context of what the baby means. <laughs> nope. Are we not reacting to the idea that they said, we took care of the baby, and you know that they don't have, like, Anyone else would be like, what do you mean, baby? I need answers. Give me clarity. <laughs> they don't want to know. They don't want to get involved. They don't want to get brought into it. They're no, but I'm just saying, like, paperwork. You, would think, you would think that, that like, I when I hear that from a newlywed couple coming in and saying, and we took care of the baby, you would think that that means Topanga's pregnant. 
what baby should be the question. But... Exactly. What baby? That's 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 it. I just wanted to be like, they never acknowledged the baby. And I was like, we should be talking about the baby. Even having Amy have a line where she's like, uh, excuse me, you said baby? <laughs> what do you mean by baby? Like, anyway. Um, yeah, honestly, I just think there was just so much going on that they just kind of ignore Corey at this point. But this, honestly... Like, there's not a whole lot to say about this because it's just, it's so, like, well-written. It's so well done at this point of this kind of turnaround where you realize Alan's been trying to teach Corey this lesson and Corey's been kind of shunning. But the way that Corey's progression throughout this episode, his evolution, I feel like, is very true to what a 19-year-old's would be. Um, you know, I just... I, it, this is it's very good but i don't really know what else to say about it other than i thought it was a well acted scene in a well like uh orchestrated evolution for Corey to have throughout the episode i don't i don't really feel that topanga had that big of an evolution but i felt like Corey did oh we kind of skipped over that because i meant to say topanga's calling alan dad She's well like, when dad, she wants something dad yeah and i was like this is interesting again like it's so like i like that we get Topanga to ride along. Topanga gets to be Corey's partner, the most that she's ever been Corey's partner. Uh -huh, yeah. Um, and it's fun to watch and it's fun to see them be a couple and it's fun to see her also get to be silly with her liars and yeah. all that other stuff. But it does kind of rob her of her own agency and power. And that's just kind of something I would want more of. But overall, I did, I did like it and I thought we ended well. And we're calling Alan dad again, you know. Sure. So. Topanga really operates as comedic relief in this episode. Like, she's not really the person who learns the lesson along with Corey, even though at one point she tells Alan and Amy, like, I don't really get this either. And then at the end, she I guess she has that same aha, but it just feels more like Corey's moment. So it seems like Topanga's really just brought in for levity in a lot of these scenes. Like, she's the one who's like, I, I don't know, kind of uh, forcing Corey to kind of have the change that he's having it's the boy in boy meets world and there is a yeah. little lie it, there is a little bit of patriarchy of like Corey has to provide for his wife and therefore she is there to give him something to work for well she 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 plays with the baby while he fixes the sink it's exactly. traditional gender roles exactly so and, again, it's very weird that we're starting to see the show be more conservative like it's the show isn't always that conservative but every once in a while it rears its conservative head and you're mm -hmm. just kind of like mm, interesting speaking of conservative let's talk about sean and angela okay yeah. Again, this is the C storyline. We're coming. We're going to come back to the B. But this idea of them having fun, being a good couple in the beginning, then going to visit um, Corey and Topanga, and Corey outright telling Sean that he doesn't deserve the life that he has, which again to me is disrespectful when you know Sean's history. Mm -hmm. And I get that it was Corey speaking out of turn, but like, why would you say that to someone like Sean again? And mostly because you feel like he has a better living situation than you do. And then for Sean to feel the exact same way, it makes sense that Sean would internalize that and go to Angela and be like, hey, we didn't earn this. Like, we, like what are we doing? You know, we have people helping us. Like, we What's... haven't suffered. I wish Angela had been like, uh, we will suffer in our own time yeah. in our own way. You don't have to be like Corey. But instead they go, oh, do you want what? Corey has you want to get married and he's like no and they're like nah yeah and I'm like, no, no no again 
you just kind of backtracked it, but we need to be having these conversations. You know what I'm saying? A hundred percent. And and what's interesting is that Angela is like, hey, Sean, are you jealous of Corey and Topanga's suffering almost? But what's really happening, and I wish Angela could just kind of point out like, hey, is this not just codependency? Is this that the person who used to be your everything is now questioning your life decisions? And because you've always attached your choices to their preferences, you no longer feel comfortable making decisions on your own. And so if they're questioning it, it's making you lack your own confidence in your own decision-making. Like, that's really what's happening here. Yes. It has very little to do with the fact that Sean is overwhelmed with guilt now. It's like, no, you finally have a great living situation. Also, you're banging. Like, you're clearly banging. Like, why would you go back to, like, it just doesn't make sense to me that he would backtrack out of the situation that just happened. At least give him a few episodes to live together and, like, see if, like, issues happen. Like, maybe they don't, like... <laughs> just got a dog like that's another thing like, that dog got put down no one's keeping that dog <laughs> well it's funny because like so we, we kind of spoke over this but the idea of like uh again they were already living together they were like hey it's me sean uh and rachel and then later on rachel's like hey i'm gonna give you two space i already got a, a opportunity to be an ra i'm gonna move out and i was like okay okay so we went through all of this it's jack's apartment it's musical yeah, chairs. You living with, yeah, with Eric. But then they invited you. But then you hooked up with Jack, so Eric moved out. But then, since you and Jack broke up, Jack, whose apartment it is, moved out. So now it's you and Angela and Topanga. But Topanga gets married, so she moves out and Sean moves in. And again, you have been the longest person here up until this point. However... Because Sean and Angela are together, you're going to move out, leaving it just to be Sean and Angela. However, Angela and Sean feel like we aren't ready to take that step because we haven't earned suffering right enough. So Angela moves out, and I'm like, <laughs> none of this makes sense. It is a game of musical chairs. The landlord has to be like, who is getting mail here? Who is it? Yeah. And, <laughs> and ultimately, I was like, for Rachel to do all she did earlier this season and then voluntarily leave. Yeah. I would be so mad if I was Jack. But of course, we just have Jack and Eric move back. So, yeah. Like, honestly, the whole apartment switcheroo thing, I, I, it's just confusing at this point. I remember being a kid and like, I think I actually missed this episode in its live, mm. like, airing yeah and so when i came back and everyone was switched around i was like wait what's going on like you know <laughs> what i mean like yeah. th there hasn't been enough time to help me understand as an audience viewing this every other episode or whatever that they were in 1999 like to be able to follow this this switchamaroo that's going around switchamaroo and I, I i thought about that i was like this episode is a linchpin for a lot of things and you do have to watch it to kind of understand some things before and after um so I, I i agree with you because like if you miss this episode you do i imagine in the next episode you're confused on why everything is where it is yeah. um the only thing i wanted to acknowledge also having the dog um can you have a dog in that apartment that big? <laughs> I, but then again, we buying houses for $80,000. Like, this is probably a wild way. <laughs> this is the kind of thing that, like, last week when you were talking about how, like, so you went through the process of getting a loan and then you just left. Like, 
Oh, so you bought a dog and then just what? Now you and Eric are going to watch this dog? Like, I, I, I don't know if we're ever going to see this dog again, but can I just say, why not have Sean bring a pig into this? Why <laughs> not connect the dots and have a little Corey? Because in season five, when he was living with Jack and Eric, we were led to believe that he was still living with the little Corey. So clearly he has an affinity for pigs. It would have just made sense for him to be like, I got my own place. I'm finally fucking doing it. That is funny. I didn't think about that. That that that, that That's funny. I, I kind of wish I had thought about it. Mm -hmm. I just thought that the dog was way too big. It's clearly like supposed to be a sight gag but it was also like there's no real thought put into it's the like a, like the a megazord version of a saint bernard i don't know what this <laughs> actual dog is but it's massive it is it's, it's huge and then as you said they're like oh by the way we're not going to keep this dog they literally go so who's going to tell him that we're not living together i was so upset that by the end of it uh angela and sean had decided to not stay together because it was like you don't have a reason to not be together other than you both think that, oh, now's not the time for us to have it easy. It's and they're like, promise, promise me when the time comes, we'll have a raggedy place of our own. And it's like, why? Why would you want that? Why, why would yeah. you, as writers, why would you want for someone to want that? And why isn't Angela being like, hey, remember how we said that we weren't going to try to just do everything the way Corey and Topanga do it? Like, we're our own couple. We can have our own path. Like, it's really showing the audience and the kids watching the show that there's really only one correct way to have a relationship. Yep. Whereas you should be able to introduce children to a variety of different relationship types since kids come from a variety of different types of households so i i wish that there would have just been like an acceptance that like yeah we're in spring are doing it their way and we're doing it our way exactly but we can't have a live in sin apparently i think that's the the ultimate that's the, the big the one the sin thing. the sin factor plays massive <laughs> okay one. so i want to go to our b storyline now because what i've been <laughs> waiting to talk about this okay no this is really important because if ever if ever i need a confirmation that Jack is a gay man. Ooh. It is specifically with the introduction of Bridget. Bridget is played by um, Nicole Eggert, uh, who is known as Jamie Powell on Charles in Charge and played Summer <laughs> on Baywatch. Um, she was also in several other things. She's a really popular character actress. However, this woman comes in. Uh, again, we get... Eric being like, girls, 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 hot girl comes in. She's like, who's running this place? Jack is like, I'm the manager. She introduces herself. I'm your new boss. Immediately says, hey, by the way, got the job through nepotism, which yeah. <laughs> I thought it was interesting that we at least acknowledge nepotism because she immediately says, oh, I got this job because my daddy is chancellor. And I was like, again, don't know if that's how that works, but okay, whatever. She goes, I'm spoiled. I get what I want. She feels kind of flat as a character but i you mean to say says, oh yeah go ahead oh i was gonna say, <laughs> do this i'm gonna keep going she immediately says that i get what i want i'm spoiled and jack goes to her and again eric is just blindsided by mm -hmm. this he's just like oh my god hot girl whatever and you would expect that other guys would be like oh my god hot girl yeah. eric's like mm -mm. if we want to talk good looking and rich daddy you ain't messing with me. Yeah. <laughs> I do it better. And like, I look better doing it. And I was like, 
this is a gay band. Like you absolutely are like, oh, I am not impressed by your charms, your look, anything. I am just as much of a spoiled daddy's girl as you are. And I'm not going to let you get my friend out. And I was like, this this is all the evidence I've ever needed of Jack being a gay Because man. at what point Bridget's like, so are we going to, are we going to make out? Are we going to do this or not? And he's like, no. Yeah, exactly she's like i would never and i'm not gonna let my friend either and i was like oh again he's sticking up for his man i don't care what any of y'all say my head can't have it all there because again it's like they could have had it be this like oh god i'm seduced by her and i hate her you know like all this other stuff but no they specifically make a point to say that jack has zero interest in her he's already like good looking rich that's my world baby doll <laughs> but they also make it a point to have Eric say, I'm, I'm a like Teletubby, Teletubby, not, not the, purple the purple one, one though. Yep, yep, I knew where you were going. I knew where you were going. <laughs> Why is that joke in there? <laughs> because we need to make sure that they know. Uh, what's also funny is that um, Jack does seem to have a bit of misogyny himself, which to oh, be yeah. fair, gay men do have. <laughs> but he's like, when he goes and he goes, tell her, I'm the man. I'll do it when I want to. I was like, that's your boss. Like, even if you don't like yeah. her, it's still your boss. You still have to be respectful. But then she says, take off my shoe and suck my third toe. And I was like, okay, so what are we doing here? Everyone is, no one is, doing, by the way, this is still an open student union. Students yeah. are still unionizing all over the place. <laughs> it, it, it's, it's, suck my toe, Eric fainting. Like, it's, it's fun, I guess. Like, it's funny. Uh, I don't know. Like, can I be honest? The entire time that Bridget was there, I couldn't help but having that scratch my head season seven feeling of haven't we had the story before? Wasn't there a girl named Desiree who was spoiled and Eric was chasing after and she treated him like shit. And then he eventually got to the point where he learned and realized like, wow, there are women out there who will do this to me. I need to be smarter. Like we've done this. Why yes, isn't Eric but, like but, getting better? Are you even acknowledging the fact that like, I've also have experience with women like this something. Well, a Eric simple. We know that like, that's just like, we allow Eric to be simple, mm -hmm. but what I think is important to your point Desiree is able to still seduce Jason. Jason is equally won over by Desiree in the end. Okay. However, we make it clear that Jack <laughs> has zero interest in her at all. I did, like I just think it's amazing. It's it's so amazing. Jack doesn't look at another girl after Rachel. He is all about Eric and protecting Eric. And I think that that is. I think that's something we're this looking is, this into. Is very true. Um, the last thing I was going to say is that, as you were talking about, you'd be kind of confused is the fact that Bridget fires Jack, and that doesn't really have any ending. Well, no. Can we just talk about like what Eric's Eric and Jack are talking, and then Jack's like, well, "She's gonna come over, and you got to be like, shut your cake hole, Irene." Yeah, Which, exactly. Is this a quote from me, myself, and Irene. What is this from? That they I have keep no idea. It? it seems feels like an inside joke that somehow Michael Jacobs was cool with. Like it feels very <laughs> niche. Yeah, it does it feel very niche. And it does make Jack feel misogynistic. And I've searched this quote. I feel like it's only from the show. Yet I can't. 
understand why it would only be from the show. It feels like it should be. No, again, I just think it, like I, I've known enough misogynistic men to be like, no, it's just shake, shut your cake hole, Irene. It's just like it, it doesn't even have to be a her name. thing. It's just the idea of disrespecting her and the okay. way to put her back in her place. And I think that that's terrible. I do not like that we're doing this. However, just gives credit to my theory. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, anything else you want to say? Um, no, you know, I, I feel like this again, mirrored the Desiree storyline so much. I really wish there had been some crossover there. Like this idea that Jack is also, you know, a rich kid who comes from this lifestyle. It kind of, um, reminded me of Jonathan Turner when it was like, oh, you're really from Connecticut and you're really this person. Like, I wish that Jack would have had the point where instead of leaning into it, he would have been like, you know, like I'm, I'm, I've learned to treat people with more respect or something yes. like that, where he's like teaching Bridget or helping Bridget versus kind of like being like, well, I can be a better rich snobby person than you. Like, I didn't really care for that. So I love that. I didn't think about that idea, but the idea of her, of Jack going to Bridget and being like, hey, I also used to use money and my looks as a way to get through life, but I'm going to tell you, it's not going to last. And you're going to, and even if he has like this huge speech to her that is like, hey, I'm trying to connect. And she's like, yeah, you're fired. I don't need it. Like, that's fine. But at least yeah. we, to me, we would have kind of like a little mini art. And then this, we really don't. She fires yeah. Jack and that's it. That's like, the end of it. There's no resolution. There's no, there's no ending for Eric or Jack or Bridget. And that yeah. kind of makes me upset. Because or if like, we had this we thing where Bridget fires Jack, but then afterwards she kind of gives him a look like she has a little bit of a crush on him, kind of setting up something in the future. Like, I don't know, just give me give me something to make this storyline feel worth it. I agree. Like that's the, that, that my real thing is like, it has no conclusion. So yeah, that's, yeah. that's why it feels kind of out of place. Uh, and I, as I said, I think it would have worked better in the previous episode. Mm -hmm. This this uses Jack and Eric in a way that would have made sense to use Eric last episode than what we're doing right now. Anywho, uh, Brad moment. What is your Brad moment? Honestly, all of the sin, the slut stuff, like that stuff, like basically shaming Sean and Angela for premarital sex was uh, like a key storyline in this episode. And I'm not here for it. I agree with you. I, like, I think that's great. Because you did that one, I'm going to choose Bridget's whole sexual harassment of uh, <laughs> her employees. Yeah. Uh, I'm really, and then of course, the, like, the entire Bridget storyline. I'm like, what are we doing here? Like, I get that we're supposed to have a woman in charge, girl boss, yes. But the idea that she is sexually assaulting her um, employees and we respond to that, not with empathy or sympathy, but just with misogyny, put her put a woman back in her place. I'm like, ugh. There's two things I want to say about that. One is Jack at one point says, what would be embarrassing if I let a surgically augmented daddy's girl ruffle my feathers, And I was like, oh, okay. Now we're, we're shaming her for that too. Okay. We're really getting that. Gay man. I'm telling you. <laughs> as a I, gay man, Jack is written as a gay man. To contradict that. I feel like Eric has some really funny jokes in the scene where one, he's like, uh, meets the new bro boss, it's Bridget Murphy, and goes, Murphy? Like, the bed? And I was like, great <laughs> delivery, so funny. And then here's an, there's another one where Bridget's like, my dad uh, uh, is the, the 
chancellor i like to call him daddy and there it goes i like to call him daddy too and i was just like i don't know like you're so funny when you're not forced to be in ridiculous situations like you can make the grounded normal stuff funny like we don't have to be so over the top so i i just wanted to point that out as we were kind of no i agree i agree i loved it i loved it um feeny lesson what's your feeny lesson on this episode that the greatest joys in life come when you take pride in your life, take pride in your home, take pride in your relationships, and you work to make them better. There, There's gifts that come from that that are a bigger reward than the initial monetary or product value of whatever it is you wanted. I mean, and that's a real long way of saying yeah. just that like the best things in life are free maybe i don't know <laughs> no no i don't think it's the best things in life are free i think that or, or, or if that's your listen that's fine but what i think you were saying and what i'm going to use is alan's lines of um figure it out so you have to figure sometimes life is going to be hard figure it out and how do you feel about doing things yourself yeah now that you've done it yourself you feel better not that it was solved for you, but that you were able and capable of figuring it out. And one thing I just want to say, because I, I kind of forgot to mention this earlier too, was that I love when Alan says, you know, when me and your mom were struggling, that was the best part of our marriage. And I would never want to take that away from you. And I think there is something to like the trauma bonding of <laughs> like starting a new life and like kind of going out on your own. And like, that's helpful in those like, early times in the relationship so i i'm sure something in there there's like a very eloquent feeny lesson but you guys know what i'm talking about yeah no no i think you're right because it's really funny like even like the trauma bonding of it all i was thinking i think constantly about how like when me and my husband got our dog like that became like we created our own language yeah because we had these like inside jokes because we had gone through something together we were both watching him develop we were both ha we had like little stories of like hey this happened and this happened yeah and i think like again like their swamp we were playing swamp monster it's like oh you will remember that you yeah. will remember building and refurnishing and having something in common that you can tell later down the line and i do yeah. think that that's really important like again it doesn't necessarily have to be trauma i think that's important mm -hmm. but sometimes the shared interest of it all the shared experience of it all is what makes a relationship can i add to that real fast we were on uh, this is relevant i promise i was on like a <laughs> corporate meeting like a, a while ago and they were like you know how can we build um you know camaraderie amongst employees and i was like you know what's so funny every white collar job i've ever had has struggled with building camaraderie but every blue collar job i ever had like the camaraderie was like there and i think it was because like we were in the trenches together yes. and there was something about that that built a bond with me and like those people i worked black friday with you know because we were just like up at 5 a.m. and we had to get to the store and we had to open it up and like there was something about that that built a bond that I'm not able to get when I'm just like Zoom meeting and so I I there's something I think that can be applicable to what I was talking about here to too. your to your point the thing is building camaraderie camaraderie has to deal with you guys having something in common other than the the trauma or being able to talk about the trauma in a free and open space like companies are like how do we create bonding all right like just pay for people 
on the company's hours. <laughs> <laughs> so like, I don't know if it's online and Zoom, everyone sign in and we're going to play like video games together. And your bosses will not be there because they don't need to be there. Yeah. You don't need to bond with your boss. Your boss is your boss. And there's nothing you can do that will change that. But you do need to be able to trust each other. You do need to be able to be like, oh, hey, he's really good at this. He's really good at that. Like, what is it called? Um, I'm thinking of escape rooms, all these things. It's like, yeah, yeah, you can do that on the company's time, on the company's dollar, and without having to, like, make us do anything extra other than show up. (laughs) And there's also something to, like, when you're grumpy and you have to be at work, like, early in the morning, when you find that person who can make you laugh and kind of make that a little bit easier for you, that's that bond. That's that camaraderie that has nothing to do with, like, your employer trying to manufacture something it's just like no this person was speaking what was on my mind right now and they said it and i like i i, I rock with mark absolutely the, the ability to like look over like the people who from my previous job i really connected it with the people who i could look over with and just look and be like girl <laughs> yeah. yeah you know or be like we're gonna chat later <laughs> and that's how you find your people that's really how it happens yeah okay uh great what grade are you giving this I'm going to give this episode a B minus. Okay. It was okay. Like I said, there were things I liked about it. I loved it. Honestly, if the Eric and Jack storyline was gone, I probably would have liked the story a lot better. If it was just Eric and Jack and uh, Corey and Topanga and the Sean and Angela stuff wasn't there, I think it would have worked better. But the combination of the Angela and Jack, uh, Sean stuff and the Jack and Eric stuff, I was just like... You know what? There's too many beefs I have with both of these storylines for me to feel completely comfortable giving this a higher grade. So I agree with you. I'm going to give it a C for that very reason. I think the A storyline is fantastic. I think we do really good lessons. I love these life lessons that we're learning. I love to see Corey and Topanga be a couple. However, the other two storylines, I have problems with both. And it does feel like it's one too many cooks in the kitchen. Yeah. Like, I feel like we could have removed one of these and had a better meal. So I will say this. I can't remember the last time I've found Corey as likable as I have in the episode and the episode before. Like, these last two episodes, I'm like, wow, I like Corey a lot more than I have, especially all through season six. So, like, I, there's an improvement happening, I think. I agree. Um, and I will say, I want to give credit. I feel like season seven, I understand what people are like, it's not as bad. Yeah. At least so far. It's not as bad as I was expecting it to be. We did have a rough start. There, It really did start off with, like, what are we mm-hmm. doing? But now, especially that we're married, I feel like, okay, these storylines are making sense. I like what we're doing here. I just feel like sometimes we throw in a little wackiness to like even it out and i'm like we didn't need that wackiness yeah we'll we'll see how you feel after next week's episode okay (laughs) here we go oh yeah next week's episode okay um we are going to do our uh pod meets world reacts so if you want to check those out go over to our patreon we are going to talk about pod meets world janitor dad and then we're going to come back homework what do you got for homework uh my homework for this week is you know i am gonna let you start with homework (laughs) i don't really have homework oh actually no i take that back i because i I was looking i've watched a lot of stuff none of it was really good (laughs) so like same like i've been watching stuff and you know what i know that there's big things that i have to watch but i've just been like kind of 
busy and the problem with like like for example i've been everyone's been telling me to watch the bear but it feels like kind of a homework assignment at this point mm. and like now I know that like I need to dedicate time and sit down and watch it. And because yeah. of that, it feels like a bigger chore. So I'll just put on something passive and end up watching eight hours of it. And that's been how it's gone for me lately. I completely and understand it. I will say this, that I rewatched A Quiet Place recently, and I fucking love that movie. I love that movie. It's so well done. It's so like quiet and <laughs> quiet. It's so <laughs> it's so it's paced so well and it builds up perfect tension. And I don't know if I'm gonna make that my homework, but sure, I'll make that my homework. I, I'm sure I've recommended it before, but I did rewatch it recently and I absolutely loved it. A Quiet Place, the first one, great. Zero yeah. notes, fantastic. The yeah. second one, very conservative, very what are we doing? I like I and like it kind of like takes away all of the lessons like it removes all of the lessons that we had in the first one and i'm like why did we do this have you seen the trailer for the third one i was this gonna say the third point. the trailer for the third one looks i but I, I i also don't give a fuck about sequels anymore just drop it just See, let it go i disagree i'm very i'm here for it because you're he, here he for like sequels in general the concept of a frozen like five no i'm not in for a, the concept of a frozen five i think that we now live in a world where there are anthologies we now live in a world with ip and i like the idea of i don't need a frozen five where we are dealing with the same characters but can i have a frozen five where we learn about the other magic that is in the kingdom can i get a frozen five where um, I don't know, some like we learn about snowmen and like all this other stuff. I don't know, maybe like I don't mind IP and expanding the world. A, because that's where we're at right now, and I just learned to accept that. But B, I also think I saw the trailer for Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, and I'm really excited about that. Because again, we're not following James Franco from the first one. We have a whole new world with whole new characters. Prey 2 is getting a sequel, and I'm like, okay, let me see where that one's at. Because I we liked how Prey did something new. I don't mind living in that universe and expanding the world. I do mind when we have to tell the same story over and over again with the same people. That bothers me. I feel like the sequel situation, especially like, I, you know, Disney recently announced like all of their movies for the next five years are just sequels on sequels on sequels. Um, I feel like what's been happening is as people have been streaming more over the last 10 years, they've been, they've, come to terms with this idea of like serialized storytelling which has been translating it to film with like the marvel movies are a great example of that and it just feels like everyone is trying to turn the movie experience into like a show that like has multiple episodes that you watch and things like that the problem is is that really good shows have a showrunner that's making sure that all of that shit makes sense i agree whereas when you look at like i don't know like Toy Story 4 or 5 that's about to come out or whatever. I'm just like, at this point, it's like, there's no way that you guys are taking the care, that you guys are telling a story that maybe you had in mind a while ago. You guys are just cash grabbing. And I'm having sequel fatigue. I would much rather go out, find an experimental film, an art house. At this point, in general, like the big blockbuster movies, I'm kind of over. But, but here's the thing, I, what your your problem is exactly what we I said, which is that we have the same characters and we're doing the same thing over yeah. again. 
and that I agree with you. I don't need a Toy Story five where we have Woody and Buzz. Why? Because I feel like I've come to a resolution with those characters so many times at this point in time. But if we went back and we explored Sid's toys and like what they went up to and what lessons they learned and all this other stuff, see, you're already intrigued. Mm -hmm. It's already a little bit better. Like that's why I'm excited about a Quiet Place uh, three because that one's a prequel. We're not we're not opening the door and they're like, hey. John Krasinski, how did you get here? It's like, no. It takes place in New York. It's a different setting. Yeah. I love, you're right. I do love that. I love the idea of like, hey, this is an interesting story. I want to see it from a different perspective. I love the idea of seeing that with Harry Potter. I would love to see stories where it's like, you know, the magical wizarding world in Hawaii or the wizarding world in Africa or like somewhere else. Like, give me somewhere a new setting and like, let's explore these ideas under different political and, you know, uh, social constructs. Love that. But again, like I don't need to see Elsa do her bit with Anna again. And like I that's don't. That's what I'm saying. I don't need to see that. And I agree with you. That being said, yeah. <laughs> my homework is <laughs> free of Abbott Elementary. Because oh, okay, okay. I think the difference is what you were saying is with television, it is fun to kind of I think I think we're losing what makes movies movies and what makes television television yeah television is supposed to be serialized it, you mm-hmm. are supposed to come back and you see these people and they are progressing but they're still the same characters and that's sure. what we're getting with season three of abbott elementary they came back it came back in a really fun way came back with a two-parter um by the time this come out i think it'll be like on episode three or, or like four or five um and i'm really having fun with the season it's great to see the characters again it feels like a classic television sitcom that we can all come together and talk about and have fun with in a way that I don't really think of I can't think of another show where everyone is watching and it's a comedy and we're having fun you know what I'm saying I feel like there's Abbott Elementary is one of the few modern sitcoms that I feel like kind of can stand with the giants of the past like i feel like you could put that up there with some of the better sitcoms of the 90s and 2000s and it still works in an age where the sitcom is dying or dead like that's still a prime example of how to do it right absolutely and and i I don't know i I was it was fun to be back it was fun to see these characters again i love the way that they are constantly teaching us about the field of teaching um, mm. I think that that's amazing, and I think everyone should check out Abbott Elementary season three. Um, and then, as far as movies go, I'm with you. A, a classic rewatch. Go watch A Quiet Place. I think I'm gonna even do that because it is a good movie. It's a great movie. Yeah, love it. Okay, you guys, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, as usual, if you want to give us your homework recommendations, or if you have anything that you like to say to us, hit us up at Meets World at gmail.com or at Bromings World on all of our social platforms. Subscribe if you're on YouTube. Mm. Um, follow us if you're on Instagram. Uh, check out our Patreon for added content. Um, rate us if you haven't done that. I don't think we've said rate us in a while. So rate us. <laughs> Let us know what you think. Yeah. And, and give uh, us a good rating, guys. Like, absolutely. Don't fuck around. Like, we're trying to beat the algorithm. Help five. us out. All five. Mm-hmm. You're like, how many stars should I give them? Five. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> I got five on it. I have no idea why, but that was that was good for me. Okay, so um, I also would like you guys to remember, as Finney says, dream. I would like you guys to remember, as Finney says, to try. Um, and I would also like to remind you guys, as Finney says, 
do good. Dream, try, do good. Oh, hey, those are all Feeny sayings. Mm, there you go. <laughs> well, how about that? We're learning lessons every day. <laughs> Later, bros. Later, bros. This episode of Brown Meets World was produced by Siege and edited by Tony Curtis. Brown Meets World is a two free tokens media production. Bye. Bye. When the spawn meets world.